0: Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me back to the book of 2 Corinthians We're in in a series this fall on the book of Corinthians Looking at the subject matter of ministry Folks, I want to remind you of something When I talk about ministry, I'm not talking about just those of us who are on staff I'm talking about you You as well because the Bible says that we are all ministers. We are all servants of Christ and we are ambassadors for Christ. And so when you hear that word ministry or minister, put yourself in that spot as well. Would you stand for the reading of God's word please? We want to begin reading in verse 12 of chapter uh, 2. Joy and strength in the midst of ministry. Paul says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me and the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not. We're not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Father, we thank you for the ministry that you've given us. And as we look around, we see the, the words of Jesus truly Coming to life in our day, that the fields are white unto harvest. Lord, these are days for the church to be about ministry. And as we'll see this morning, as we conduct ministry, sometimes people get discouraged. Perhaps they don't see things happening as quickly as they would like, and they grow discouraged. They grow weak Some even want to quit and give up Lord help us to see that as we conduct ministry There will be lows, there will be valleys But even in those valleys Help us to look not at our circumstances But to look at you Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus And seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness Lord, may we not be distracted by the many things around us that could take us off of our course. Help us to fight the good fight of faith and to run our course that one day we might stand before you and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, to the one this morning that might be discouraged, I pray that today's message would be a great encouragement to them. And Lord, I pray for that one here today who may not know Christ in a personal way. That you would bring about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That you would open their eyes and ears and hearts and minds to believe the gospel and so be converted. Accomplish your purposes here today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, I want you to think with me uh, for a moment back to two different individuals in the Old Testament. First of all, think back with me to Isaiah in the book of Isaiah chapter 6. As we come to chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah, we know what is going on there. That King Uzziah has just died. Now King Uzziah was a very prosperous king in the land of Judah and he had enjoyed a very long and prosperous reign and he had been good for the country and Judah was doing very well. But Uzziah has died and Isaiah the prophet is in the temple Uh, And he is worshiping God that day And I'm sure that one thing that was on his mind is Now that our earthly king has died What's going to happen to us? Who's going to come into power next? And is he going to be a good king or a bad king? So what's going to happen to the nation? And in that context God gave him a vision And in that vision he saw the true king the King of kings and Lord of lords seated upon his throne and there was a message for Isaiah that day that the God of heaven, the King of heaven is still very much in charge. Now when Isaiah got that vision of God, we know what happened to him next. He saw himself in the light of his own sinfulness and he was just as sure that he was going to die that day. He said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the Lord. And so we know that Isaiah was expecting to die next. But instead God cleansed him and God commissioned him. After God cleansed him, God said, who will go for us? And who will speak for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, Lord, send me. And so God said, Okay, go. And Isaiah said, Lord, how long? And the Lord said, Until the cities are without habitation. In other words, Isaiah, they're not going to listen to you. They are not going to listen to the message that I'm going to give to you to, to deliver them and to save them. And because they will not listen and they will not repent, I'm going to bring judgment on their nation. And so Isaiah was going to have a very challenging ministry. And then we turn over to the book of Jeremiah and we see much the same thing. The Lord called Jeremiah into the ministry. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I set you apart as a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah said, Lord, I'm but a child and I can't speak. And God said, Jeremiah, don't say that because I'm going to put my words into your mouth. And you need to go where I send you. And do not fear and do not be dismayed before their eyes. Because if you're dismayed before their eyes and you're fearful, then I'm going to make you dismayed. And I'm going to make you fearful. But Jeremiah, in your ministry, you're going to uproot and tear down but also build up. The point of both of those illustrations from the Old Testament is sometimes ministry can be very tough. Ministry can be very challenging. At times it can even be discouraging. I've had deacons come to me discouraged over their deacon ministry and they would say something like this. They'd say, Pastor, I just don't think I'm accomplishing all that much. I'm somewhat discouraged. Sometimes Sunday school teachers will come to me and say, Pastor, I I don't see that I'm doing my class that much good. I don't see the fruit that I would like to see. And they grow discouraged. I've had other pastors and ministers come to me and say the same thing. Folks, what we need to understand, what we need to see, whether it's pastors or deacons or Sunday school teachers or the whole entire church family, we need to see that sometimes ministry is very challenging. Life is not made up of all highs. I mean, there's some lows to life. And ministry is just like life. Because life is filled with some trials and tribulations. Ministry likewise is going to be filled with trials and and tribulation. Not everybody is going to receive our witness. Some might even oppose us. We need to expect that. Now Paul writes about those highs and lows in this passage. And how even he encountered those and we learned this morning that that ministry is not a sprint. It's a marathon. We've got to hang in there and never, never, never give up. And when we're in those low moments, we have to understand that our strength is not in ourselves. But it is in God who calls us and leads us. Now the first thing I want you to notice with me this morning from verses 12 and 13 is if those in ministry focus on circumstances or human responses, they could easily grow discouraged. Paul says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. Paul admits of how he had his eyes on circumstances there at Corinth and he despaired. Now we know that he had left Ephesus because of a riot there and he had gone down to Troas and he had sent Timothy or excuse me Titus to Corinth with the painful letter We've spoken about that painful letter that he wrote to the Corinthians that we don't have a copy of today. We wish we did. We'd love to see what that letter was more about. But God in his sovereignty uh, did not allow us to have that. For some reason, he didn't deem that we needed it. But, But Paul had sent Titus to Corinth with that painful letter. And he was very anxious and he was very worried with the response that it would get. And and he's looking forward to hearing back from, from Titus very soon, but he's not heard back from Titus yet. And so he's very anxious. Folks, we need to also realize that if we're ever anxious about God's work, if we're ever worried about God's work, we need to pray. There may be some aspect of ministry that God has called you to do in His church and it scares you to death. Maybe you're fretful, you worry, you're anxious. You need to pray and you need to remember uh, that after all, this is God's work. The church is not your work and it's not my work, it is God's work. If there is something that worries us, if there is something that makes us anxious and we can do something about it, then fine. We need to do something about it. But ultimately, we know that we've got to leave things in God's hands. Paul was anxious And he decided that he couldn't take it any longer. And so he left Troas and he went to Macedonia to look for Titus. And so again, he's quite concerned and discouraged at this point. Now what I want you to see is discouragement comes to even the best of God's servants. I hope it helps you this morning to see that even the Apostle Paul grew discouraged at times. The Christian life can be like that. As a Christian parent, you can worry about your children. You can be anxious. You can fret over them. Or if you serve in some aspect of the ministry here, you can worry about your effectiveness in that area and that can keep you awake at night. And if that happens to you, I want you to see that that is not a unique experience. In fact, most people in the ministry, whether they serve on a staff somewhere or lay ministry, there are times in their Christian life and witness that they get in a valley and they don't see the results that they would like to see. Some of God's choice servants have gone through that. If I were to mention to you the name of Charles Spurgeon, some of you would recognize that Charles Spurgeon was perhaps the greatest preacher that Baptists have ever produced through the centuries. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said on one occasion. He said, Fits of depression come over the most of us, usually, cheerful as we may be, we must at intervals be cast down. The stronger, not always vigorous. The wise not always ready, the brave not always courageous, and the joyous not always happy. There may be here and there men of iron to whom wear and tear work no perceptible detriment, but surely the rust frets even these. And as for the ordinary men, the Lord knows and makes them to know, but they are but dust. We need to remember that. We have feet of clay, we are but dust and so as you serve in the church here maybe in the children's ministry or youth ministry or the adult ministry you need to understand that it's common for God's servants to at times go through periods of discouragement like that. As we sow the seed of the word of God we don't always see the harvest immediately. But folks, don't be like too many pastors today. Do you know that every single year across America, 18,000 ministers walk away from the ministry? 18,000 every single year just walk away. That's disturbing. And in surveys that Lifeway has conducted, they went on to discover that 80%, 80% of the spouses of ministers wish that their mate would find something else to do. Folks, don't be that way. Those are some very disturbing trends in the nation. We need to realize that in the nation right now, at this period of time in America, we need churches and we need ministers of the gospel and we need men and women being strong for the sake of the gospel. Hang in there and serve and never, ever, ever give up. I want you to listen to one letter And and this is a true story This is not a hypothetical scenario This is a letter that A.T. Robertson quotes in his book The Glory of the the Ministry Now some of you recognize that name, A.T. Robertson He's probably the greatest scholar That Baptists have ever produced in In the Greek language at least In fact... The writings of A.T. Robertson, the Greek grammar books and various books he wrote on the New Testament Greek language, those books are still held up in our seminaries today as standards when you're studying Greek. And in his book, The Glory of the Ministry, he quotes a letter. Here's two pastors corresponding with one another. And and this is the letter that one pastor wrote to another one. And again, it's not hypothetical. This this is a real letter. And it's sad. He says, my dear Jim, I'm through. Yesterday I handed in my resignation to take effect at once. I shall not return to the pastorate. I think I can see into your heart as you read these words and behold not a little disappointment if not even disgust I don't blame you at all I'm somewhat disgusted with myself Do you recall the days in seminary when we talked of the future and painted pictures of what we were going to do for the sake of the kingdom of God? We saw the boundless need for an unselfish Christian service and longed to be out among men doing our part toward the world's redemption. We had brave dreams of usefulness and you've realized them. As I look back across 25 years, I can see some lives that I've helped and some things which I've been permitted to do that are worthwhile. But sitting here tonight, I am more than half convinced that God never intended me to be a minister. If he did, I'm not big enough and brave enough to pay the price. Even if it leads you to write me down as a coward, I'm going to tell you why I've quit. In these years I have found not a few earnest, unselfish, consecrated Christians. I do not believe that I am specially morbid or unfair in my estimate. So far as I know my own heart, I'm not bitter. But through all these years, a conviction has been growing within me that the average church member cares precious little about the kingdom of God and its advancement or the welfare of his fellow men. He's a Christian in order that he may save his soul from hell and for no other reason. He does as little as he can, lives as indifferently as he dares. If he thought he could gain heaven without even lifting his finger for others, he'd jump at the chance. Never have I known more than a small minority of any church which I've served to be really interested in and unselfishly devoted to God's work. It took my whole time to pull and push and urge and persuade the reluctant members of my church to undertake even a little something for the sake of the kingdom. They took a covenant to be faithful in attendance upon the services of the church and not one out of ten ever thought of attending prayer meeting. A large percentage seldom attended church in the morning and a pitifully small number in the evening. It didn't seem to mean anything to them that they had dedicated themselves to the service of Christ. I'm tired. Tired of being the only one in the church from whom real sacrifice is expected. Tired of straining and tugging to get Christian people to live like Christians. Tired of planning work for my people and then being compelled to do it myself or see it left undone. Tired of dodging my creditors when I would not need to if I had what is due me? Oh, I'm not leaving Christ. I love him. I shall still try to serve him in other ways. Judge me leniently, old friend. I can't bear to lose your friendship also. Yours as of old, William. Folks, that is a sad letter. A sad letter. And what's even sadder about that letter is I think I could honestly say that I probably have at least three friends in the ministry who could have just as likely written that letter to me. Folks, we have got to change our perspective And young people in our churches need to to see the high calling of the ministry. We need to see more of our young people surrender their lives to the gospel ministry. There's nothing greater that somebody can do with their lives. Now what did Paul do when he was discouraged over the Corinthians? Fortunately, he continued to minister in other avenues. He went to the churches of Macedonia. Now, of course, he was also looking there for Titus to try to find his brother in Christ, Titus. But he was there among the Macedonian churches and he was busy ministering to them and collecting that offering that he was going to take back to Jerusalem and give to the saints in poverty back there. But what is important to see here is that while Paul might have been discouraged over the Corinthians, he did not allow what he experienced there to define his whole life or ministry. He kept sowing the seed of the gospel and he kept serving Christ. And he kept going on missionary journeys and doing what he could do so that the name of Christ would be glorified. Some people in churches today need to learn this. They teach Sunday school, they get discouraged with their class and so they quit and they sit down. What we need to do is hang in there and pray and again realize that the wisdom and strength doesn't come from us. It comes from God. And so even if you give up one area, try something else. You may be more gifted in some other area and God may use you greatly there. But folks, don't sit down. Don't quit. If you're a Christian parent don't give up praying for that child hang in there labor in your prayers for that child but again whatever you do for the sake of the kingdom of God never ever ever give up We've got to remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15:58 he said uh, Always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Folks, what we do in our lives for ourselves is oftentimes in vain, but what we do for the sake of Christ is not in vain we need to hang in there so one of these days when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, he might say of our lives, well done, good and faithful servant. So find your area of service. And get busy or if you're in an area of service and you're discouraged, pray for God's wisdom and pray for God's strength. But above all, keep on keeping on. Don't give up. Don't focus on your circumstances and don't focus on the immediate response of people. If you do that, you'll lose sight of what's really important. Now, second thing I want you to see this morning, those in ministry must constantly look afresh and anew to the Lord for their strength and contentment in service. Those in ministry must constantly look afresh and anew to the Lord for their strength and contentment in service. And that's what Paul is saying here that he did. He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us. He points out there that first of all, God leads us as a shepherd. And as God shepherds our life, what do we ultimately look forward to? We look forward to Christ's triumph. Folks, Christ wins. Christ has overcome sin, He's overcome Satan there at the cross. And even though in this world right now, we look around at this world and we see that Satan, the god of this age, is making such an impact on so many, yet we know that the ultimate victory belongs to the Lord. And he leads us in triumph. And so things from the human standpoint of view might have worried Paul. But Paul realized by looking at God that he saw afresh and anew that God had a plan and a purpose with all things. And even in our weakness, God's strength shines through. In fact he writes about that over in chapter 4 beginning in verse 7 he says But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And so what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, he's trying to say to them, I cannot be defeated by all of this. All of my discouragement over you. He's writing to them saying all of your opposition, all of my anxiety over you. Cannot define who I am as a minister of the gospel and cannot define who I am Uh, as, As a Christian trying to live his life and serve Christ, the circumstances of life don't define my life. Christ does. Folks, we need to see that God leads us. He is a shepherd. In fact, as David said in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We need to see in our Christian lives, and our Christian service, God leads us. God gives us wisdom. God provides for us. God gives us what we need when we need it. Amen. Haven't you noticed that in your service for Christ? At just the point that you needed, that word from God, that special touch from God, that direction in whatever you were doing, at just the right moment, at just the right time, God gave you what you needed. He's a shepherd. And then David went on in the the 27th Psalm to say, Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. He's my shield and my defender. Therefore, I will not be afraid. Folks, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried in your service for the Lord. Trust God to lead you and to use you. God is the shepherd of our lives. And and not only does he lead us as a shepherd, but Paul goes on to mention here that God leads us in triumph. God leads us in triumph. Now, he's making an analogy here to the ancient triumphal marches. You see, military, Roman military generals would go out on a military campaign against some foreign enemy. Now, they had some rules laid down about this. If they wanted to be recognized publicly for their victory, it could not be against another Roman entity, another Roman province. In other words, it couldn't be a civil war. It had to be against a foreign power. But the Romans, the the major power of that day, they loved their military. They were proud of their military and their strength. And so their officers would go out and their commanders would go out and, and lead their armies in victory against foreign forces. And then they would come back and they would have these great triumphal processions through the city streets of Rome I guess the best thing you could compare it to probably would be our modern day uh, ticker tape parades And when they came back to the city of Rome and word got out, the citizens of Rome would line the streets. They would all come out to celebrate their army that was coming back home. And the Roman general who led in the attack, he would be right up front. And boy, he would be dressed in the finest attire. And he would be in this ornate chariot. And they would have some of the biggest and best stallions leading his chariot. Sometimes they would even use elephants to lead his chariot. Behind him would be his subordinate officers. Then behind them would be the military men who had gone out and won the victory. And then at the back of the line would be the defeated foe. They would have the the defeated army bound, their hands bound and their their legs even bound to a certain degree but, but not enough that would prevent them from taking part in the march. And there would be this great parade, this celebration and what they were doing was showing off their army and their general and they were showing off the prisoners that they had defeated and they were celebrating the fact that as Romans nobody in the world at that time could stand up to them. They were the best of the best and the strongest of the strongest. And what's Paul's point here? who ultimately wins, who ultimately leads a victory parade, it is none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our commander-in-chief. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The victory belongs to the Lord Jesus. And one of these days he's going to share his victory With us. Paul writes in Romans 8 31 and following, Who then can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who's the one who's going to condemn us? No, rather, it's Christ who died, was buried, and is risen again to give us life. Who or what shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ? Can circumstances of life, can even death or anything else separate us? Paul says, no, I'm persuaded that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the true battle, the spiritual battle that's going on in the world for the heart's and lives of men and women Christ is the ultimate victor and those who belong to Christ they'll see that day one of these days in the future when we're gathered together with him in heaven we're going to see that whatever we had to go through in our Christian life whatever you went through in your service for Christ however discouraged you might have gotten at some point in time you're going to see that it's all been worthwhile. It's worth it all because you're home. You're home with Jesus. Now folks, something else you need to understand about these parades, these ancient parades, because it's what Paul goes on to write about here mixed in and mingled in with this crowd, going before them, beside them, behind them, all around them, would be the Roman priest. Because the Romans served all kinds of false gods. And so they would have their priest out as part of the parade, celebrating their military victory, And what the priest would be doing would be carrying their containers full of incense that was burning. And all around the parade route, they would be lighting these things, these containers with incense in them. And so all through the city of Rome on this great parade day, you would would smell this incense. Now, if you were a Roman citizen or a Roman general or a Roman military person, it was the aroma of life. You had won the victory. But if you were one of those prisoners that day in the parade, it was the aroma of death. Because you knew at the conclusion of the parade, one of two things was going to happen to you. Either first of all, at the end of the parade, you were going to be simply executed on the spot. You were going to die by the sword as soon as the parade ended. Or they would pick out certain prisoners in the parade and they would leave the streets of Rome and then they would all go to the great amphitheaters that they had and they would close themselves up in the amphitheater and they would put some of these prisoners down in the arena and they would turn the wild beast loose and they would watch as the wild beast would tear these captured soldiers to shreds. They made sport out of that. Very sick and corrupt culture watching that. But if you were a captured soldier and all, all these sights and sounds and smells of the parade, do you, all of this was the aroma of death because you knew that one way or another you were about to die. And Paul is comparing that to your work and my work as we preach the gospel. As we preach the good news of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit uses our message, brings conviction to some people's hearts and in repentance and faith they turn to Jesus Christ and they are saved. Then the message that we have preached is good news. It is the aroma of of life. But in the crowd as we preach the gospel, some will not listen and some will not respond. And so the message that could bring life brings death. And so in the day of judgment, when they stand before God and they're reminded that they had the opportunity to hear the gospel and hear the good news about Jesus Christ, it's going to be shown in that day that the message that could have saved them now judges them and condemns them and it brings them death. So our message is either the the aroma of life or the aroma of death. Paul says in verse 15 our lives are like that. Our lives are a fragrance of Christ. It reminds me of what Paul writes in the book of Romans about preaching the gospel. He says, How then shall they call upon him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sinned? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. You know what the Bible is saying? You serve the Lord... There you are teaching that Sunday school class or teaching those young people. You know what the Bible says, even about your feet? Your feet are beautiful. Beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news of Jesus. Don't be discouraged. Paul goes on in this section to say, who is adequate for this? I mean, when we think of the glorious message of the gospel and we think of this wonderful Savior that we have, folks, who in the world is worthy to do what God has commissioned us to do? Answer, none of us. But it's just like he said in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and following, he said, Consider your calling, brethren, that not many of you uh, who are noble, not many of you who are strong were called, but God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wise. And why does God do that? So nobody can stand back and talk about how gifted and smart we are. But they stand back and they talk about how glorious our Savior is. That's why God uh, uh, changes and calls just ordinary people like me and you. And so what am I saying to you today? Be faithful, persevere, whatever God has called you to do, whatever area of ministry that God has led you into, persevere, never ever give up, be faithful. And then Paul closes by saying something about his ministry, how uh, he has not, like so many of his day and our day today, he said, we're not like so many peddlers of God's word. Now, a couple of implications behind that word, peddlers. First of all, it has to do with honesty. Paul's saying we've been honest with the word of God. Got one of those dumb blonde jokes for you, okay? On honesty. Man was traveling on one occasion. Got to his hotel late. It was late in the evening. He walked into the lobby. And there in the lobby, everybody was gathered around in the lobby. Around the, around the TV there. There had been some breaking news that had happened that day. And everybody was glued to the television set. They were covering... The newscasters were covering a man who was way up in a skyscraper hanging out the window, and he was about to jump. And they were glued to that. Well, finally, everybody got tired, and they went on up uh, to bed, except this man who'd gotten to the hotel late, and this blonde-headed lady there in the lobby. She stayed there watching the end of it. And she asked him, she said, do you think he's going to jump? And the man said, yeah, I I think he is. And she said, I I don't think he's going to jump. She said, in fact, I'll bet you $100 he's not going to jump. And The man said, I'll take that bet. Well, the man jumped. So the lady opened her purse and handed the man the $100 And he held up that $100 He said, ma'am, I can't take your $100 You see, I saw this on the 6 o'clock news I knew he was going to jump She said, well sir, I saw it too I just didn't think he'd jump twice But when it comes to honesty, Paul says we've been honest. We're not like so many peddlers of God's word but as men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God. We speak in Christ. That word peddlers not only has to do with honesty but it had to do with a lot of the merchants back then who would add water to their wine before they would sell it. They would water it down so they could make more money by doing so. But what they would sell was a diluted down version. It wasn't the good stuff. It wasn't full strength. And Paul says, That's not how we've been among you. We did not peddle the gospel, we did not water down the gospel. We've been honest with the message and we gave you the gospel in its full strength and power. We've not changed the message. We've not changed the gospel. We didn't dare dilute it down to make it more palatable to some audiences. Do you know there are some today that want to do that? Instead of preaching the whole counsel of God, they'll what do they do? Water it down and they give what people's itching ears want to hear. So they can get a crowd. They're peddling the word of God. But Paul says we're not like that. We've given you the gospel everything. We've told you the truth. What you wanted to hear and what you didn't want to hear. In fact we've preached Christ in sincerity of heart. So you can see that the message is not from us but from Him. Folks, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged and and don't assume that the harvest is always going to be right there at your fingertips every time and don't be surprised. If in your Christian life as you serve the Lord, there will be some people who will even be opposed to you. It was a great day. Great day of ministry. Fire had fallen from heaven and licked up even the water around the sacrifice. Elijah had challenged the people, the prophets of Baal, to call on their God. And Elijah said, I'll call on the true and living God. And the God who answers by fire, he's God. Well, God answered by fire. The people turned to God and they killed the prophets of Baal. Great day of victory for Elijah and God's people. But Jezebel said, Elijah, what you have done to my prophets, you can write something down and count it as fact. I'm going to do that or even worse to you as soon as I get my hands on you. Elijah got scared and he ran. He ran out into the wilderness And out in the wilderness he got discouraged and afraid and he had a little pity party for himself. And he said, God, does nobody stand for truth anymore? Am I the only one? And what did God say to him? God said, no, Elijah, you're not the only one. I've still got more than 7,000 servants who have not bowed the knee to Baal. More than 7,000 just like you, Elijah, who still love me, and they've not bowed the knee to Baal. He fed Elijah, nourished him, allowed time for Elijah to get strength, and then sent him right back to work. Don't give up, don't grow discouraged. He's still on His throne. Some lessons in closing. Lesson number one. God's servants are not exempt from discouragement. Now folks, I realize people will seldom respond to the degree that we would like to see them respond. You don't worry about that. Wherever you serve in the church, trust God that as you sow the seed, God is going to bless in the long run what you do. There will be those that you will impact. You will have the joy one day of being able to look back on some in your area of ministry in the church and and there will be some precious lives there that have been changed your ministry will have made a difference. So just realize, discouragement is is not odd or unique, but you need to get your eyes off of circumstances and get them back on Jesus. Secondly, God's servants are not exempt from anxiety. I mean, parents worry over their children. A teacher can worry over their class members. A youth worker can grow anxious Over the youth or the children that they teach. We can grow anxious over not enough laborers. Jesus said we have to pray for laborers. Don't be anxious. We have to realize that it's God's work. Don't worry. Put it in his hands. Thirdly, we're to praise God for his ultimate victory. Don't let momentary setbacks in your service to Christ hinder you. And lastly, we need to serve in the power that God gives. Remembering that no one is adequate. No one. So if you feel weak, you're in good company. That's just an opportunity for you to entrust your weakness over to God who can be strong through your weakness. And so don't use weakness as an excuse. Never, ever, ever give up.